Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome to Jerusalem News, the Teacher's Lounge, where we give you insight behind the headlines and try to keep you connected to what's going on here in Israel. I am your host, who's bored of that introduction, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? Well, it's a whole new, different setting we've got here. We're at the lobby of the Dan Panorama Hotel for our special guest, and it's a whole new kind of, uh, I don't know, vibe going on here. It is. And would you like to introduce our guest? I'm a little bit nervous when we get his name wrong. It's hard to say, Raul. I, I'm trusting the, you said it's like growl, right? Like growl without the G, yeah. Yeah, so I think I'm doing it okay. But go ahead, Alan. You can do the Raoul Woodliff. I hope I got the last name right too. Good. Look at that. Who is uh, a journalist at the Times of Israel? Many of you may be familiar with it. Is the really groundbreaking media um, online media outlet that uh, was founded when? How many? Five years ago. Five years ago by David Horowitz, who is a, a, a recurring guest at our Core 18 program, who's one of our like really premier key speakers of our program. Um, really an amazing sort of media outlet and news for Israel in all different facets and in the English-speaking world and also in many different languages around. Um, Raul is the political and uh, correspondent. I cover politics, corruption, and crime. Oh. Which so that's pretty redundant, isn't it? Yeah, and unfortunately often they're, syn- they're synonyms for each other in, uh, in Israel. And what's so groundbreaking about... So we'll get to what you cover, but I just want to know a little bit more about your job. Alan says, and I agree with him, that... The Times of Israel is groundbreaking. In what ways do you think it's so groundbreaking? Um, well, I think we are a news a news media outlet that's based in Israel and directed to the, to the outside world. But specifically because we're only online, um, some people see it as a as a downside. We uh, people often ask me when are you going to start a print version, but there's we have no plans to do so. Not that I know of, and uh, I think being online gives us the ability um, to communicate to an, an audience much, much broader than just the print newspaper and specifically because we understand that that's our audience and we don't have any, um, we, we don't have a different side to, to printing or, or, or some sort of weekly magazine, magazine um, we're able to tailor um, our content for a very broad range of, uh, of, of audiences across the world. Half of our audience is in the US, 15% is in Israel and the rest is all across the world and and in addition, at the Times of Israel, we also have um, uh, we have uh, online editions in French, Arabic, Persian, um, and Chinese, and uh, that's really quite groundbreaking. I think for an Israeli-based um, media outlet to have those to, to be producing news from Israel in all of those languages for people across the Middle East, Iran, in our per- for our Persian website, that really is something that is uh, we 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 don't see from other Israeli outlets. And do you think, I mean, from my perspective, tell me if I'm wrong, it seems like you have that ability to be that nimble because you're a web-based organ instead of because you don't come from the print world or have any need. The, the web-based allows you to be that kind of flexible. Exactly. I think being on being on the web creates its, has some, some challenges. We're constantly struggling between uh, um, speed and accuracy. Those are the two things we, we need. And, and they, 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 it's difficult to get both. Um, it's something that we constantly uh, strive towards, and I think we are um, we we succeed most of the time in being able to do do, do both that produce news that is timely um, and and breaking and also accurate and relevant. Um, and because we, as you said, because we're we're specifically uh, web based, we have the 
we have the mindset constantly of, of thinking about the broad, the broad audience and thinking about how using our platform we can reach them. When it, when it comes to, I guess it's not the right way to ask it. I was going to say when it comes to a conflict between speed and accuracy, which side do you err? But that's not really it. It's always, I guess, riding the line. Yeah, you, you're right. Um, it's it's tricky. Um, it's tricky in the in the media climate we're in. Twitter, social media, people can get news instantly, and in in many ways, um, people rely on traditional media outlets less and less. Um, so uh, we're we're not just competing with other media outlets; we're competing with people's Facebook feeds, people's people's family WhatsApp groups, where people send information uh, uh, instantly. Um, with the Mukata. <laughs> Exactly. In Israel, we've got, a, we've got an abun- abundance. I think the Times of Israel has done well at um, positioning itself as, uh, as, as separate from some of, some of those, uh, those type of, of smaller media outlets and, and, and becoming really a, a leader in the field. Um, and I think that uh, uh, yeah, ultimately accuracy is, uh, will, 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 will always be, be most important. We, we will never publish something that we don't think is accurate. Um, but it's a challenge in having to do it as quick as possible. I mean, that, that makes sense to me just as a consumer. Like, I'll go to Twitter to see what people are talking about, and I'll get news stories that aren't yet on. But then I'll go to Times of Israel to, when it comes there to find out what real in my head, to see what really happened. In other words, I'll see these things floating on Twitter. When Times of Israel has it, now I know what really happened. Um, what I think also is groundbreaking uh, is that the news that they're carrying, in addition to like what we would call hard news, is it's really like expansive news about Israel. It's not just, right? So if you're sitting in a city, let's say Philadelphia in America, and you're getting news about in your local print and media about Israel. Is this going to be a thing about the Eagles? Because I'm so tired of hearing about the Eagles. How did you know I was going to get that in? No, actually I wasn't. Um, but if you're, you know, you're interested in news about Israel in the past when you're talking about the print or whatever, so you'd get like a snippet and usually would be some kind of politics or mostly Israeli, you know, Arab conflict, something like that. And now you can go online, go to Times of Israel, and you can get like, you know, a cross section of what's happening in Israel from lifestyle. We had Jessica Steinberg on uh, on the podcast to talk about lifestyle, stuff like that, to, to you know, stuff that you're talking about, politics and, and corruption, to the more, you know, international news stuff. And I think that that is really groundbreaking, that you can really be tapped into what's happening in Israel if you want to. Do you feel that uh, if a Hebrew reader wanted to keep up with Israeli news, that the Times of Israel would be just as good as going to a Hebrew site? Um, yes and no. Um, I think that we uh, we cover most of the domestic news um, in the same way that, that many of the site, sites do, but uh, many of the Israeli sites do. But there is obviously a difference in the fact that most of our audience is in America, and some of the some stories, such as you know weather stories or traffic stories or traffic accidents um, or local corruption stories and are less interesting to our readers. We, we try to present those in a, in a way or try to um, create stories that will be interesting on, on those topics, but we, we maybe don't cover those in as depth as uh, some of the Israeli, Israeli sites. Um, but I think that we, uh, we also add, provide something, something additional. Most of our staff um, are, are Olim, immigrants from uh, from around the world and we can see some of the some of the issues in israel um both cultural positive aspects and some of the some of the challenges facing the country from a in a different in a different light and specifically i think a good example of that is the work the times Israel's done led by our reporter simona wineglass um on binary options which is a uh, an 
a, uh, a fraudulent um, industry, a largely fraudulent industry that has, uh, has grown across the world, but specifically in Israel. And uh, through um, some investigative reporting that the Times of Israel has done, we've managed to influence not just the public discourse on corruption in Israel um, and specifically this industry, but we've managed to um, encourage a, uh, a Knesset law that's banned the industry entirely from Israel. And that is... Uh, has, has been hugely influenced by the work of the Times of Israel. So I think it's, it's a good example of how looking at this, the news in Israel from a slightly different perspective um, uh, helped us uh, tell a story that maybe some of the Israeli media outlets were not telling. And we got to that story because Olim, new immigrants who are working here, um, working in the industry because it, they, they were... In, invited or encouraged to work in the industry because of their language skills and being, and being able to speak with people across the world, um, they t- turned to the Times of Israel and said, listen, there's something going on behind the scenes here. There's something, uh, there's something fishy. There's something not okay. Um, and we were able to follow up on those, uh, on those stories and, and uncover something that was, uh, was hugely important, not just for those all in, but also for, for, for the economy of Israel. It's funny because we're talking about you know this this cutting edge journalistic organ, but that's doing something that's so classically what we think journalism is supposed to do by exposing corruption. You get actual change in the world, which you only have when they expose it. And you're saying your particular audience allowed you to get a story that was being being missed. What's your background? How did you get into journalism? Um, I uh, I've always been interested in in politics, mainly because from a young age I realized it was a way for me to talk um, and make it sound like I was much more intelligent than I really am. Um, I know that <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's why we became teachers, pretty much. Um, and uh, I, I worked, when, I was, when I was younger, I, I did some, an internship at the Wall Street Journal for a, num- for a number of summers um, in Brussels covering the, uh, the European Parliament. Um, when I came to Israel, I, uh, I started... On the- How's your Flemish? <laughs> um, it it could, could certainly be improved. Um, and I, when I came to Israel, I, I got involved on the other side of the uh, of the of the of the desk, as it were, um, as uh, in the spokesman in spokesmanship, working uh, working at the Knesset. Um, and then I moved from there to the uh, to a, a small radio station, Voice of Israel, which uh, which no longer exists. Um, and I now uh, and and from there I moved to the Times of Israel. Um, so uh, have a background in both politics and communication and also um, in journalism, which are sort of two, two sides of the same coin. We both sides work, work very closely together. I mean, it's not an uncommon Aliyah story that your career evolves as your skills develop and you sort of end up... Or life. Isn't that like life anyway, right? It is, but I think of, I think of people who went, you know, when you're not immigrating somewhere, so you choose a career path, and generally I feel like it's more linear. Whereas as an immigrant... That's because we're old. <laughs> I guess. I guess maybe the whole job world is changing. Yeah, today a job, someone stays in a job two years, three years max, and then they move on. And Linearly. Is that a word even? It sounds like a word. I See, I don't relate. I, I worked for like one place for so many years. I'm a fuddy-duddy. Um, so let's let's... Is it okay to talk about your beat, like the t- types of things you cover? I mean, that's what I talk about. <laughs> We're not. Yeah, that's true. It's interesting for us, but I don't want to bore you by making you talk about your day job. But we're, we're interested. Well, first of all, you were covering the Pence visit. Do you have any insights or behind-the-scenes stuff you want to give? Today you had a behind-the-scenes sort of uh, insight. Well, the, the Pence visit was very, very interesting in, in and of, of itself. 
Um, we had a you know vice president coming to Israel for the first time. A vice president addressed the Knesset, and in many ways, um, Mike Pence was received as a president. Um, in fact, according to the protocol, the prime minister received received him as as he would the head of a state, um, and not just the vice president. Um, that's, that's odd, isn't it? it it's odd, um, but it shows um, it shows both the status that Israel gives towards it, the relationship with America um, and the status that it gives towards the Trump administration and also potentially um, how it sees Mike Pence as potentially a, uh, a future president maybe in three and a half years' time, maybe before, according to, according to Sam. So you're saying that Bibi was pulling a Yochanan Ben Zakai. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but Mike Pence... Um, also has a, an interesting relationship with Israel as what well, he describes himself as, a, as an evangelical Catholic, um, who, a, Christian Zion, a Christian Zionist, um, he's called himself. Um, and for many years, he's been very supportive of Israel. Actually, I met him um, in Israel two and a half years ago um, at the Voice of Israel when he came just as a, as a governor of Indiana. Well, he's also a radio guy. He came to you as a fellow broadcaster, right? Yeah, ex- exactly. And uh, it, was, it was great to meet him then. Um, coming to Israel now... It was seen as a uh, as a real opportunity for Israel to reach out to um, many supporters of Israel who, in Israel, are often uh, misunderstood or, or or people don't don't really appreciate how, how how large their support is of Israel, and that's the evangelical Christians in America. Um, so, so with all that, Mike Pence was welcomed with you know in in many ways, both by the president and by the prime minister and at the Knesset as in as I said, in some ways, as a head of state. His Knesset speech um, was a very interesting speech. Uh, there were a number of political headlines in there. He said that um, they, they would ensure that the, Jerusalem, that the U.S. embassy has moved to Jerusalem by 2019. He said that the, the Trump administration would not allow um, the Iran deal to, to go, go through it as it, or to continue as it is. Unless it's fixed. And, unless, it's, unless it's fixed. He said that... Um, well, ex- exactly. Either it's fixed or, or it will be changed. Um, but when I was listening to the speech, I heard, um, I, I specifically heard um, the religious tones of his speech. And it really sounded in many, way- sounded many ways like a sermon, like a homily that, uh, that a rabbi could give. Um, and a couple of points when, I, when he was speaking, it really reminded me of, uh, of a rabbi who I've read for many years and uh, been a fan of, Rabbi, rabbi Jonathan Sachs, a former chief rabbi of the, of the UK. Um, emeritus chief rabbi um, and after the speech I was looking through it and a couple of the, the lines seemed so similar to me to some of the, the writings of Rabbi Sachs I, I searched, searched for some of the more poetic passages and, and I saw they were very similar to some of Rabbi Sachs's writings in fact some of them even verbatim quote nearly verbatim quotes um, so I contacted uh, the, uh, Pence's office and um, I think in an, they, they were worried that I would suggest maybe that there'd been some sort of plagiarism um which uh which wasn't the case when they admitted that rabbi Sachs had been involved in the uh in the speech so that was a uh, uh it was interesting from uh from a i suppose a religious jewish perspective um to to see that a a you know a very, a very prominent rabbi a world you know a world leader um and someone who who in some ways has positioned himself as a um as a as a moderate with his his recent book not in my name against religious extremism has helped pence and was in fact as they described it instrumental in uh, in drafting and writing the speech who said that he was instrumental that was the the, the pence uh, pence's uh, team 
So from that, from the Sachs, Rabbi Sachs office. They 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 admitted to uh, to, to being to being invo- involved and uh, and confirmed that that, that was uh, that, that was in fact the case. I mean, it's funny. I guess I guess it's their job in the vice president's office to be somewhat paranoid because. Certainly speeches are crafted. I don't think there's anything unusual about turning to different experts in order to craft the speech well. There's nothing untoward or weird about him contacting Rabbi Sachs, who lives in America now, for help in crafting that speech. No, not, not, not at all. It's, uh, um, in fact, I think many would say, say it's a probably a, a very wise move. Um, speaking in Israel was a, a seminal speech, a very, a very important occasion. Um, and to, to get advice from someone who... Uh, on those specific areas, talking about Judaism, talking about the Jewish people's connection to the land of Israel, to, to get advice um, from someone who is not just an expert, but is, is really an expert communicator. Yeah, he speaks good Jew. Exactly. And, and we saw some of those very poetic lines that, that Rabbi Sachs uh, often, often talks about, speaking about that the Jewish people took a barren land and they made it live again. Um, exactly those lines were, were included in, uh, in Pence's speech, which gave it a, uh, a tone, like I said, like a, a little bit like a sermon that you could have heard in shul. Well, I'll, I'll put a link when we post this to your article. You catch them and you enumerate them from the, where, you, where you heard this echo, where you heard that echo. It's pretty compelling when you put it in words. And it's cool that he did. You know what? I actually give Vice President, Vice President huge credit for... Two thumbs up. Yeah, good for him that he seek. You know, he looked for somebody who would help him craft it in a way that it would come across well in Israel. That's that's pretty sharp. It's uh, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised that he had that much foresight and sensitivity to craft a message that would resonate well here in Israel by talking to an expert, uh, talking with Jews. Um, yeah, and uh, and the speech certainly resonated in Israel, both politically and. And with some of those uh, those relig- religious tones, um, there was there was as as is always the case in Israel, there was some criticism from various uh, sections of the the political spectrum. But overall, um, it was it was welcomed as was uh, Pence's speech. Um, but now with Pence back to back to America, Israeli the Israeli political scene in a way returns back to to reality, and so does uh, uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Benjamin Netanyahu, who over these few days with Pence. Um, very much enjoyed um, the media presence. Very much enjoyed, um, ha- you know, a- a- accompanying uh, Mike Pence around um, in a way that he, in recent recent months and years, has less so enjoyed uh, his relationship with uh, with the media, which is something that I deal with daily. Right. Well, he he also right before he le- he just coming back on his trip in India, where he had a lot of good photo ops. But on his way out, he took a shot at the media, sort of borrowing from the Trump administration's style book in in in, in well, he didn't he take like this parting shot on his way out um on the way to india he said um uh, i'm going to strengthen the relationship with israel and india um but you the public won't hear about that because the the media is not going to cover this trip properly um it's a criticism that he's voiced before on other trips of his uh, when he went to russia um with one of uh, one of the largest uh, delegations of journalists um following a prime minister previously um he criticized the uh, the coverage of journalists and in fact the uh, um, the Association of Diplomatic uh, Correspondents in Israel was put out an, a statement, a letter to the Prime Minister, very critical of, of his um, of his attack on them. Um, it's interesting that you say it's sort of borrowing from the Trump playbook. Um, in many ways, Trump's borrowing from Netanyahu's playbook. For many years, um, Netanyahu has had a uh, a, uh, a tense relationship um, with the media, going back to 
when he was prime minister in 1996, he famously, um, uh, during the campaign, said, him fakhadim, they, the media, are afraid of him, and therefore that, that's why they're giving him what he said, unfair and biased coverage. And until this day, he, he claims that he gets un, un, unfair and biased coverage from, uh, from, from the media. They all, they all complain that they're not getting fair treatment by the media. That's pretty standard. I mean, in American politics, the, the, the peak is with Nixon saying he has zero respect for anybody in the, in the field of journalism. And, and, and all leaders complain, but there's a, there's a line of, I don't think you're treating me fairly, as opposed to telling the people, don't believe what the media is telling you. To me, that's a, maybe it's, a, maybe it's just, a, it's just a, a quantitative difference, but it, to me, it, it creates a qualitative, for, for the leader of the country to say, don't trust the free press, trust me. I think there's a tonal shift there. I think you're right, and I think that it um, it relates um, directly to um, the advent of social media um, and the fact that political leaders can communicate now directly with the public. Um, often, Netanyahu will, instead of send out a press release, just write something on Facebook, and journalists will, just as the rest of the, of the country, scramble to to see what he's he's written. And in many cases, he's writing something sometimes against the media, sometimes in a way that he thinks would, he, he would rather present it directly on his own. Um, and he's also making these little videos he puts on Facebook. That, and he's, he's also, yeah, as you said, become in some ways a world leader at, at uh, these, these short viral videos of, uh, uh, on certain messages. I don't think that Prime, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is alone um, as a world leader in criticizing the press um, or feeling victimized by the press. It's something we've seen across, you know, many, uh, many decades of Israeli, of Israeli prime ministers and across the world. Um, but, um, and, I, and as a journalist, I think that it's, it's our job to, um, to oversee the work of the prime minister and specifically... Um, to it's meant to be somewhat adversarial. You're supposed to be keeping check on each other. And, and the prime minister sometimes says, Net- Netanyahu sometimes says, he's being treated, you know, uh, unfairly compared to other politicians in Israel. I think that the Prime Minister is a different position and it's the ro- you know, he is the executive um, decision maker in the country and therefore it is the role of, the, of, the, of journalists to check his work more carefully than other ministers or opposition leaders of course. Um, but uh, I think that it's, it's, it's an interesting time um, that we're seeing with, with this specific uh, attacks on, on, on the press and I think it's also interesting for the press to some sometimes take account of uh, of how um, of how to deal with uh, with this sort of criticism and in some cases yes to to hold a mirror up and say how can we do things better um, how can we um, report in a way that's that's not biased or doesn't appear to be uh, appear to be biased i don't think that's a bad thing for the media to do um, but as i said i do think it's 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 hugely important for the media to continue um, to uh, to to, to look into things and to oversee the work of the of, of the executive branch. Yeah, I mean, this is a conversation we used to have with Zev Ben Shachar that it is the job of the media to find fault and criticize, but it should be done constructively and not in a way that right. makes the public cynical or turns them off to the process. Right. Uh, on the other hand, um, what we see now, what's going on? First of all, throughout Netanyahu's career, he's had a, a contentious also relationship with the police. And investigations, and we see a ooh, I, I smell a segue, uh, a heightened, uh, a heightened uh, investigations in the last what is it, fifteen, sixteen months? I don't remember how long it's been going on now, right? Uh, a whole uh, cascade of them, and so 
clearly, the, 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 you know, I don't say the press is caught in the middle of that, but it's supposed to be reporting on that. So that's clearly going to create uh, friction. Maybe talk a little bit about some of the more uh, prevalent corruption uh, um, uh, investigations going on. So, uh, all right. So, so let's get into it. There are um, the prime minister is currently a criminal suspect in two police investigations and there's a third police investigation which in some ways is uh, much more serious where he's not a suspect but several of his very close aides um, and confidants uh, are suspects and uh, it looks like they uh, they may be facing a police indictment in the the coming weeks weeks or months um, the investigations have been going on the two investigations against the prime has been going on for a year now um, and I should say maybe this is you know a, a chance to uh, to put our hands up as the press for 12 months there have been reports from me and from others saying an indictment against the prime minister is imminent um, he's he's very close to being uh, to being charged with uh, with certain crimes and we haven't seen that yet and it seems like we may be um, waiting a number a number of more of more months as police investigations do continue um, the two investigations against the prime minister um, uh, are interesting in in their own right each of them the first one um, case one thousand um, and let me uh, let me take a step back um, the but both investigations can you just explain like the, the the terminology why they're numbered that way why they have number names so I was going to say actually um, uh, the police have decided to, to call because these are high profile cases and because they're constantly referred to in the media the police decided to call the cases connected to the prime minister 1000 2000 and 3000 and for some people it's been confusing uh, one person um who i interviewed at a uh, a Likud rally actually um said to me you see how ridiculous uh, uh, all these investigations are there are a thousand investigations against the prime minister this is the thousandth investigation did you did you know uh, so i tried to explain to him that actually this is it's just called case 1000 but i can understand the uh, the confusion especially because Every, nearly every day now, we're having different reports on a number of these different uh, investigations. So I, I hope I can uh, try and break those it numbers. Down. Literally, aren't I thought there was like some kind of weird Dewey Decimal System going? They literally just picked them out of a hat. There's just random names because these are high-profile cases. They pick those. They pick those numbers out. Um, well, I'm mad. <laughs> Come up with something useful. What, what would you? What name would you prefer? I don't know. Billy, Jimmy. I don't know. Can we give a name? You, the yeah, the cigar investigation. That, well, I guess the police can't call it that, but but just a random number assignments that is confusing. Call it Smoky so, Joe's. Smoky Joe's. So let's. So case one thousand um, is the case that has uh, has filled most of the newspapers, you know, headlines and front pages uh, regarding these investigations. Um, the, the case one thousand in, is investigated. Police are investigating um, suspicions that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu received um, gifts from billionaire benefactors over a number of years and potentially um in return for those gifts gave certain favors using his office to those uh to those friends of his who who were, who were billionaires and gave him the gifts um the sort of gifts we're talking about are um high-end cigars uh high-end uh champagne and liquor um in some cases, there's been uh, reports of uh, jewellery bought for his wife, Sarah Netanyahu, um, uh, certain uh, work done on his house in, in, in Caesarea, uh, paid for, again, by these, uh, by these uh, billionaires. And the claim that we've heard from Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu throughout um, 
regarding all of the investigations is there is nothing, um, there will be nothing because there is nothing. He said it over and over again, there will be nothing because there is nothing. Um, and as we've seen in this case, more and more proofs that he has received the re- received these gifts and he himself has admitted to receiving some of these gifts. He sort of changed that, um, the meaning of that phrase from there's no corruption here at all or there's, there's, no, there's no, no gifts at all to this isn't really corruption. What, getting, getting some gifts from friends, getting cigars from friends, getting champagne from friends, that's not corruption. That's not money under the table um, in an envelope. Um, and it, there's certainly some, something to be said for that. This is, this is more abstract than maybe the, the corruption we know from the previous uh, Prime Minister, Ehud Olmer, who, who, physic, who was charged in the end for physically receiving money in envelopes. This is not that. Um, but in fact, um, the... the 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 amount of money we're talking about is uh, is significant. Omar in the end went to prison um, for around sixty thousand um, shekels. Um, we're talking here potentially uh, potentially half a million dollars in 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 the value of gifts given over many over many years. Um, but there is there is something to be said for that for the question of is this really corruption getting gifts from from friends? Depends what he they, his friends got in return, I guess, isn't it? Is there a quid pro quo? Um, well, that's uh, that's a very that's a very interesting question. On the firstly, there are suggestions here that there was some quid uh, quid pro quo that Netanyahu pushed for to get some of his to get. Um, an Australian uh, billionaire, James Packer, a visa to Israel, and he pushed for an Israeli billionaire, Arnon Milchan, the Hollywood producer, to have a, uh, a visa in, in the US. And he personally called John Kerry, the US Secretary of State at the time, a, a number of times to ensure that uh, um, that visa. And there is also the suggestion... Yeah, well, that, I mean... Why is it so hard to get a visa? Not only that, I would just argue, well, he's making a call for a friend using a little protexi. I mean, who doesn't do that? Like, that's not like... He didn't, like, get him a big business deal where he got to build, build, build a huge apartment complex in the middle of, you know, Tel Aviv. And that's what, he's, that's, what he's, that's what Netanyahu has claimed. What's important here is that there is a crime that only exists for public officials, which is not just bribery, but breach of trust, um, whereby a... A, um, a public official um, puts, can put himself in a position to be bribed. Just doing that is um, is a crime. He doesn't have to. There doesn't have to be a quid pro quo. And we can understand. I think we can all understand that the the person who has, holds the highest office in the land, who is in charge of military operations and in and, and in charge of of where the where the budget goes for for our schools and uh, and for healthcare. Um, that person cannot be put in a position where they could be bribed, even if they're not taking um, bribes. And while the specific accusations that the police are investigating involve things like visa applications, there's a much bigger question about what we don't know. Um, one example of something we've been looking into um, at the Times of Israel is um, for a number of years now, um, there's been quite lax laws in Israel regarding um, regarding uh, tax uh, regarding Israel as a, as a tax haven um, billionaires that come and live here pay relatively low tax um, and it's very beneficial for them um, people have been trying to change those laws um, that, and a number of other laws that relate to money laundering and how that could, the two can link together um, but th- those laws have been blocked and we're not sure who the, who's been blocking those laws it's possible I'm not saying that is the case but it's possible um, that the Prime Minister has been involved in, in that um, and that could have benefited his billionaire benefactors that gave him gifts. 
Now, whether or not that's the case, the fact that he's been receiving gifts puts him in a position which, which raises questions. And, and I, think, I think most people will agree that we don't want a position where the Prime Minister can even be accused of something like that, even if he's not receiving the actual gifts. A Prime Minister should not be in a position where he has received, received gifts um, that could raise suspicions or potentially changed his way of thinking for the, for the benefit of the people that have given him. Those are unusual laws where politicians have rules about what kind of gifts they may or may not receive due to, due to prevent corruption. Right, because essentially, you know, they're there, the, the trust of the people. Really, the, the democracy works, and we've talked many times, is that they're serving the people. We're their bosses, in essence, they're right? And, but what's uh, BB is supposed to do, if it's just his bad luck that most of his best friends are billionaires. You know, if he had friends who were poor people, they would give him like a chicken. But it happens to be that his friends are billionaires, so he gets new houses in Caesarea. Well, you still can't take a chicken either. Even right? And you shouldn't even be taking a chicken, right? And it certainly raises some eyebrows in what sort of friendship. Um, I mean, I, I don't have billionaire friends, but I don't have any, you know, relationships with with any of my are, friends. Are you open to it? In case people are listening, would like to be your friend and they're billionaires. <laughs> if if Arnon Milchan or James Packer are listening, no. Um, but if uh, I don't have, most of us don't have relationships where we regularly receive gifts from um, from people over a number of years worth lots of money in and in some cases where where we would where we would call the the people that work for those people and specifically order them and so that's one of the things the police are are investigating whether these are really gifts or whether there is some sort so long what's taking so long um well it's 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 complex um both because it's the prime minister um and because it's uh, it's as i said it's something abstract it's not so obvious what sort of gifts were given over what time there's many people involved many different um you know, different uh, different uh, interesting they're actors. still like looking for the smoking gun and that's what it seems to be at the moment there have been reports for a few weeks now that that the police are ready to uh, finish uh, finish the investigation a few weeks ago a police source told me we finished the investigation we're just preparing our recommendation for indictment um but now it seems that that's not the case it seems that they're going back and trying to find stronger evidence um of uh, of what's what's happening and all the meantime the prime minister is saying Look, you can see this is proof that there's there's not really anything uh, anything going on here. So what's what's case two thousand? So case two. Well, I just want to add to that point that, that there's a difference between the gathering of the information and then the presenting the information so that you you legally show that a crime has been committed. That's what you're saying that they 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 those are two different phases, and they may not totally even have finished with phase one. Uh, and, you know, it's just hard to know where they are. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, Case 2000 is in some ways even more abstract. Um, it's on the similar premise of get, getting favours and, and giving favours in, in return, um, but it's specifically relating to uh, Netanyahu's relationship with the media, which we, which we already spoke about. Um, the the, the uh, main newspaper in Israel, which has for many years uh, uh, been, a, been seen as an adversary to Netanyahu, is Yedio Achronot, um, and as part of another investigation, listeners may know it as Ynet Online. Exactly, Ynet. Um, the uh, as part of another investigation, police came across recordings um, of uh, Netanyahu meeting with the editor of Yedi Ochronot, Ynet, um, and saying to him, "Look, um, I want you to give me better better coverage." Um, and in order to do so, um, 
if if you give me better coverage, I will help another newspaper, Yisrael Hayom, which for many years has been seen as a very pro Netanyahu newspaper. It's owned by Sheldon Edelson, the U.S. billionaire who has strong relationship with a strong relationship with Netanyahu. Netanyahu said to the editor of Yedia, and the Israel Hayom. Uh, Israeli Yom paper is a free paper where it's given out. Essentially, Adelson pays for it so that Israeli citizens can read what Adelson wants them to read, which doesn't – is that journalism? Well, well that's, there, there are questions about, about Israel Yom and, and, and its integrity, but um, regardless of those questions, in this conversation, Netanyahu can be heard saying, um, I will help close down – parts of Yisrael Hayom, um, if you... Which, by the way, to define a free press, the Prime Minister should have zero control over any journalistic organ, correct? Um, exactly. Um, and so, on the on the face of it, there is, again, some sort of pre-quo, um, quid pro quo here, where the Prime Minister is saying, if you do something for me, I will do something for you. I'll use my office to do something something for you. Again, there's not money here. It's 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 uh, it's difficult to see exactly how this might be um, considered bribery. Um, but there are the potential for other laws having been broken. Um, we, we mentioned Israel Hayom being a very pro Netanyahu paper, and in the last election, um, there was a petition against Israel Hayom which said that actually it's not a newspaper at all. It's campaign material for Netanyahu. It's free. Um, and therefore, it's the, the money that Sheldon Adelson pays for Yisrael Hayom is effectively a campaign donation. So it should be declared by the, by the Likud party. And in Israel, campaign donation, the minimum, that, the maximum that an individual can give is around $40. And Sheldon Adelson has been giving billions of dollars. So it would certainly go beyond campaign uh, financing laws. Oh, let me just do that math in my head. Carry the... Fi- yeah, it is. He's, you're right. A little, a little bit more. Yeah. A little bit more. Um, and... As part of that petition, in response to that petition, Netanyahu said, um, I have no relationship with Yisrael Leom, I have no connection to it. Um, and that was an affidavit that he wrote, um, which, which, which has the status of a testimony in court. And therefore, this recording of him saying that he would be able to close down Yisrael Leom might suggest that he was, li- he was lying in, 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 the fir- in, in his original affidavit. Um, so those are the two cases that he's being investigated for as a suspect. Um, as I said, the, the difficulty both in reporting them and in, in engaging the public, and specifically the, the public abroad for us in, in Times of Israel, is that they're very ab- they're, they're abstract. And well, well, we have a recording of him saying that, no? Um, we do, but the, the recording hasn't been made public yet. Oh. Um, and even so, people are, people are saying, what, we're going to bring down a prime minister because he met with a, the head of a newspaper and asked him to give him better coverage. Isn't that what everyone, all, all spokespeople do? Um, and, and it do- doesn't seem like such... Corru- real, real hard corruption, and that brings me briefly. I know we got we don't have so much time to case three thousand, in which the prime minister is not a suspect, but as I said, many people surrounding him are, and that that case really uh, touches on some much bigger suspicions of uh, of corruption. In case three thousand, um, the uh, let me take one step back. Uh, a number of years ago, um, the prime two years ago, um, the prime minister pushed for. Israel to sign a deal with Germany to buy a number of, uh, of naval, naval vessels, both attack boats and submarines. Um, and that deal was opposed by the defense ministry um, and the chief of staff. Nonetheless, Netanyahu pushed for the deal to go through. At the time, it wasn't clear exactly why he, why he thought we needed it. We, we have a relatively small submarine fleet in Israel, and he wanted to increase it by 30 percent um, in, in this deal. Um, Later on, it came out that Netanyahu's personal lawyer, 
um, David Shimon, who has defended Netanyahu in a number of, uh, of, of cases over the, over the last year and is a very close confidant of Netanyahu, was also representing um, the German shipbuilder, which, which stood to benefit, um, to make billions, nine, in fact, nine billion um, Israeli shekels off this deal. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and uh, and that, that came out in an uh, re- investigative report by, uh, by Channel 10 News. Um, and since then, we've seen a number of very high-profile people brought in as criminal suspects, including Netanyahu's former um, chief negotiator, um, who, uh, Yitzhak Molcho, who is suspected of pushing relations with other countries in order to, uh, to, to get this deal to go through. The former head of the Navy, Netanyahu's former pick for um, the National Security Advisor. And we're talking the top echelons in, in, in the Israeli political and military establishment, all very close to Netanyahu, all having been suspected of pushing this deal in order to make a lot of money um, for themselves. Now, at the moment, it doesn't seem like there's any sort of smoking gun and it doesn't seem like Netanyahu personally benefited from it. But the questions being raised in the media and, uh, and elsewhere are how can the Prime Minister um, not know about this type of thing when so many of his very close advisers and confidants are, are very, seem to be very deeply involved. Um, as I said, that case is, is much more um, explosive than the other two. Um, it involves real you know, millions of, uh, of shekels going to going to I- individuals. It involves something that's sacred in Israel, the military budget, um, and uh, and it involves you know top military officials. Um, that really has the potential to uh, to be much more um, significant, both for the prime minister and for the country, than maybe the other cases. Even though the other cases are getting more coverage at the moment. Well, it also because even though he's not directly under suspicion, it leaves him in that weird position of if you if you know about what's going on around you you're corrupt if you don't know you're incompetent so either way he doesn't i don't want to get into the story with his son per se and how that that shed light on probably 1000 but i don't you know think it really I, I guess what i really want to know is in the american press right now there's this story that of a, of a payoff of to a woman who may or may not have had a, an affair with the president and, I, and my sense is from talking to people from the American press is people just don't care. And I, and I think, and I guess, I guess what I, what I want to know is how, how upset are Israelis about this? How does the public have a high tolerance or a low tolerance, or is there a way to gauge the, the Israeli voters reaction to all this corruption in the, in the Knesset at the highest levels? Well, Netanyahu has for many years been very good at um, both gauging and, um, molding public opinion around him um, and we've seen a number of efforts throughout this last year to to change the, the, the parameters of this debate as I said already suggesting that this isn't really corruption even if he's indicted for corruption this isn't real corruption is that what we're going to bring a prime minister down for um, but I think ultimately just like in, in every country we see it clearly in the United States now we see it here but we see it all over um, people are very territorial and they feel um, some sort of affinity with the person that they supported um, in the polls um, and people that voted for Netanyahu uh, somewhat encouraged by his own rhetoric but maybe just by, by, by the fact that they voted for him see that this is uh, feel that this is an attack on them. This is an attack on the person they supported by political enemies. Like I said, it's not so clear exactly what his involvement was in every case, and it's 
it's ambiguous enough, I think, for people to be able to say, I still, su- I still support the person who's, who I think is best for the country. Um, it's the same in, same in the United States. Um, many people might say some of the things that Donald Trump has d- done is, is beyond the pale, beyond what we could expect of any normal U.S. president. But nonetheless, um, he still has support every few, you know, every few weeks when the um, polls come out and it says the headlines are President Trump only has 33 percent. I always think to myself, 33 percent. Where are all these people? There's a huge amount of people who still support him based on 60 million, yeah. 60 million right? Who voted. exactly based on the report based on the hugely negative translated into shekel 60 million you get a submarine you know <laughs> um, yeah. um so i think that um I, I really do think we live in a cynical age where people say well if he's my politician i mean that's always been the case but there's a there's a level of cynicism today we uh, i don't care what party you're in you don't want government to be corrupt i think it's also the people sort of have a view it's not only my party but it's basically politics is corrupt and politicians are corrupt so if he's getting from cigars from friends you know that's what politicians do i don't really expect them to be any better and i think that's what the sad thing is nixon just did what everybody does but he got caught right I know. I think that's a that's a sad mark on on because we really should be shooting for higher for our in any democracy. I think we should be shooting for higher, but certainly in a in a in a Jewish country, we should be hoping for you know righteousness and justice. One of the sort of arguments that some people have said is, well, if there were to be elections tomorrow, Netanyahu would still win. And it's, it was a suggestion at one point, although I personally don't think that he would go through with it, that Netanyahu would bring. You know, force elections in order to win and show very clearly that he is supported by the public and therefore these election, therefore these corruption allegations are insignificant. Um, I think that argument is a little bit like, um, you guys watch Game of Thrones? Maybe, maybe not. A, a little bit like um, trial by combat. It doesn't mean that you're right. It means that you're stronger and you're, you, you win. Um, but, but it doesn't mean that, you, you're, that justice has actually been done. I think what's important, and I, I, I try as a reporter, and I, and I think the media does try to, 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 to say the politics of this is, is irrelevant at the moment. The question is, is corruption. The question is, um, is the, you know, the, how our politicians behave. And um, it's, I'll admit that, that it's difficult at times, but I hope that my coverage is, uh, is able to uh, portray that, to go beyond the politics of whether someone be- agrees or disagrees, but, uh, and look at the actual events that are taking place here and, and how, these, you know, how these potential corruption allegations may or may not be, may or may not be true, regardless of the leader um, behind it and whether we support them or not. I mean, that's how I read it. I, that's how I see it when I read it. And I do think, that, look, you know, to use another American analogy, Nixon won by a landslide in his second election and then resigned in disgrace because of corruption. You do have to separate, I think, the politics from from the fact that nobody should be above the law, especially not our leaders. That's also a very old biblical idea. These things in a Jewish state should be paramount, I think. And that's why we have so many Jewish leaders in jail today. <laughs> yeah, that's the nice thing to say about Israel. Is we, we, we lock up former prime ministers, former presidents, former chief rabbis face the law like everybody. I will say, covering, covering these issues, um, it can seem like Israel is more corrupt than other countries. In fact, on... You know, when in comparative studies done, Israel is not necessarily more more corrupt than other than other Western countries. Um, we we're seeing these investigations specifically against the Prime Minister, and although we're not going to get into it, we have two other ministers who are criminal suspects in in other investigations. Um, but um, 
like you said, something which I think we uh, we can be in somewhat pr- proud of is the fact that you know no one here is above the law, and uh, and the hope is that these investigations, whatever the, the outcome of them, will be done properly. Um, you know, in without politics, um, in order to in order to rid the country of any potential corruption that's there. The worry is that when the prime minister is under this pressure from investigations, he will make decisions both against the you know the rule of law and uh, and in in all aspects that will be guided by the pressure he's under, as opposed to what he believes is best uh, best of the country and. When Omar was, uh, was under investigation, Netanyahu famously said, um, this man cannot continue to be prime minister when he's up to his neck in investigations. How can we trust him to make decisions for the sake of the country? That's something that is, uh, is certainly being asked at the moment again. Bum, 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 bum. Well, thank you so much for your hard work, you and all your colleagues, in, in sort of making sure that we know what's going on. I think, I, and I think, and people will let us know, we've been getting some nice feedback recently, but in particular about a, an episode like this where I always say at the beginning we give you insight behind the headlines. I think that getting that big picture is very helpful to a lot of people to make sense out of all those little details that they pick up on. Um, so we really, really appreciate you taking the time with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. I would uh, second that, and hopefully we'll be be able to come back for uh, some more talk on Israeli politics. Will you buy us coffee and soda again, like you did this time, Alan? Uh, Well, it's actually not me. I'm not really. It's it's Jerusalem, you in our department, so... That's true. So, full disclosure, we were bribed with coffee and Coke to have this conversation. So, if anybody would like to sponsor our coffee and Coke... (laughs) Next time I'm expecting some cigars. I don't know if we can afford such good ones, but we'll get you some cheap uh, knockoffs. All right. Well, thank you so much again. Thank you. And thanks, Alan. Thank you, Mike. And thank you, guys. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Jerusalem U podcast, The Teacher's Lounge. The Teacher's Lounge is produced by Matthew Lippman. You can subscribe to our podcast pretty much anywhere where you can find any podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, etc. And we'd really appreciate if you would give us feedback and ratings in those places and recommend it to your friends. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.